Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This episode, as always, of the Mark Martin's Revolution is brought to you by Vodcast TV, Johannesburg's premier podcast studio platform, where if you've ever wanted to host your own podcast and you simply don't know enough about microphones, lights, cameras, and or you just simply don't have the space to do it, uh, this is the space for you. Uh, it's absolutely available for anyone, whether it's for your business or for yourself. And it's just the best way to create a podcast in Johannesburg. So check us out. It is vodcasttv.com. You can get 15% off of your first order if you go to vodcasttv.com forward slash revolution and you'll get 15% off of your first order. Without further ado, I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. Uh, the first football-based podcast on the Marco Martins revolution. A revolution is a fundamental and relatively sudden change in political power. An organization which occurs when the population revolts. revolts. This is the Marco Martins Revolution, powered by Vodcast TV. Visit VodcastTV.com for more. Okay, guys, welcome to the podcast. We've got Ilias uh, Panagia Topolos. That's right. Well here done. in the studio with us. And Andrea Savidis. What's up? Okay, guys, are we football fans? Are we former footballers? Let's get through it. Ilias, let's start with you. Give people a little bit of your, your football background. For those of you who don't like football, tune out of this podcast already because <laughs> it's the whole podcast is going to be football. Yeah, so uh, football player, football fan my whole life. Um, from the south, yeah, not Robertson, Sporting, Represent. all the way, yeah, Portugal, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrea and I are both from actually, actually from Sporting, so the Greeks in, in the Portuguese team. Um, I've played in a couple of teams though. I've played overseas in Sweden as well as Andrea. We played in a district side that went to Gothia Cup. And I went on trial to Olympiakos for a few weeks. Now that's a big club. Anyone who doesn't really know football and has managed to stay tuned in after that intro. Um, <laughs> Olympiakos is a giant football team, the biggest in Greece. Uh, and not only Debatable. the biggest in Greece, debatably the biggest in Greece. I think definitely there's 100%. no debate. They're absolutely the biggest <laughs> in Greece. Um, uh, you know, there might be debates about if Man United is the biggest team in England, which they absolutely are. There is no debate. But anyway, it's that sort of thing. Is Whether they're winning titles this season or last season or two seasons ago is irrelevant in terms of the size of the team. So they're absolutely yeah. the biggest side in Greece. Um, whether they're the best right now, that would be debatable. But anyway... Uh, Olympiakos, the biggest side in Greece. What was it like going there? Yeah, it was quite crazy. Intimidating as hell. Um, and maybe I've jumped the gun a bit. Um, okay, well, let's go back to your interest. So you played yeah. football your entire life. Yeah. You're a football fan now. Mm -hmm. You obviously passed the retirement age for a professional footballer. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Even like a five-a-side footballer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so give us a little background. When did you go to Greece? Yeah, so I went to Greece in 2006 after matriculated. Uh, I had the luxury of finishing school one year early. I started, um, yeah, one year early and then I managed to go So over. you were born in 1989? 88. 88. Yeah, so I was actually with the 87s. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I went. So over. 2005, you matriculated. That's, that's right. when you finished your school year. Hundred. And then yeah. 2006, you went to Greece. Yeah, 2006, I went to Greece. Um, Who was in that Olympiakos side in 2006? Man, the one name, the one name that everyone will, yeah, will everyone go crazy will for. Is, I remember uh, this. Rivaldo. Rivaldo. And I have such a good memory of this. Uh, it's the first time I've actually been starstruck. So we're training on the reserve field. So I wasn't there for too long. Obviously, I didn't make it into the side, which we'll get we'll into, get into that. later. Don't let them know yeah. that yet. Yeah, let no, them no. just believe you played for Olympiacos. Yeah, and then I, I decided to leave to pursue another <laughs> dream. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. So you, you're on this training ground at Olympiacos. Yes. The bi- this is the biggest football team you've ever seen. You've come from yes. South Africa, yes. uh, where you would have seen some top clubs. I mean, yeah. we'll get into that. You were playing at youth level for some of the... Yeah, uh, for Supersport. For Supersport. Yeah. Uh, Supersport United, obviously PSL team. You're playing at youth level before you went over to Greece. Yes. And obviously facilities-wise, you went from South African football in 2006 yeah. to European football, former champions of Crazy. absolutely everything in Greece. Yes. And you went to go see just facilities that have changed. It's a, a different world. Completely different. And, and Olympiakos's uh, training ground is called uh, Ready. Well, I don't know if it's still that, but they call it Ready. And uh, probably Emirates Stadium yeah, training ground <laughs> at this yeah. point. Yeah. Everything now is Emirates. Yeah, so everything's knows, maybe it's Turkish the way things are going, but that's another topic. Etihad Emirates uh, training ground for Olympiakos or something, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so on the field, it's um, so the, the first team trains on the reserve team's match field, if that makes sense, and then next to that is the reserve team training field. And then inside is this massive facility. It's, it's huge. Like you were saying, I'm, I don't know what Man United or any of those guys look like. But yeah. for me, Olympia, of course, was a gem. Because it is. It's, it is the biggest club in Greece. Uh, they've won probably 80% of the titles since uh, the 90s. Panathinaikos was the that's the one Andreas kind of talking yeah. about, but that's yeah, like the yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say look. Those are the top two. Yeah, we know yeah. that. Well, so not anymore, two. but again, <laughs> they're like the Arsenal of uh, of Greece. So. In terms of fan base, international <laughs> oh, yeah, exposure, everything base. like that. Whether they're the best yeah. in the league or whether they're performing at this time, yes, debatable. Debatable. But then they definitely wanna, one of the big big sides of the top three, four biggest ones. Let's let's put it this way: if you're going to see someone from Brazil yeah. in the twilight of their career they're yes. moving from Serie A or La Liga yeah. and they're not going to Galatasaray in Turkey yes. they're going to Olympiakos or Panathinaikos yeah, in Greece 100%. I mean those are the sort of that's the level of those sides they can yeah. attract big big names they do yeah and in fact when I was there I just left so again I'm jumping the gun I went to a smaller team to try to establish a name for myself Olympiakos just signed Yaya Toure in 2006, before you went to Barcelona. Yes. So they really attracted quite a few younger players as well because mm. they were, it's Greece mm. and it's an easy league just to win something if you go to Olympiacos at the time. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I end up at Ready. I walk into the change room and it's a bit of a, a funny story. So my Greek wasn't great and uh, there were these coaches and they're all intimidating. The coach at the time, I can't remember his name, long Greek name, he was a ex- Olympiakos professional star. So he he came to me, he's like, go into the change room and they're going to come ask you what you need. So I'm like, okay. So I pack my clothes, like ready, you know, we uh, we just train in whatever. Yeah. So I get to the change room and the guy goes, I'm going to bring you clothes. I'm like, I've got clothes. He's like, okay. What he meant to say was he was going to give me an Olympiakos kit to train in. 
because that's how it works in Europe. Mm. You know, you're training, you're part of the team. So I walk out in, I think it was a Southern District <laughs> kit and everyone was laughing at me, which was already, I was on the back foot. I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so. Check the new guy. Yeah, they're, they're like, whoa, that guy's weird. <laughs> I think, yeah, and again, at the time when you were there, were you the only foreign player on trial there or yeah. was there one or two others? So I was the only, um, so there was, there were two of us. There was another guy. His name's Nico. He, I don't think he made it. I, I didn't see anything of him. He came from Chelsea, actually. When Chelsea was big at the time, they dropped. And him and I got quite close because we were English-speaking. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, I would ask him about, do you see Drogba and all these cool questions? And he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we train all the time. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> and you do these crosses. And so his name is Nico. So he, was he English Greek? Yeah, he was an English Greek. So yeah. he born so in like, England, but yes. from Greek family, similar to you. Yeah. Uh, Greek South African. Yes, yes. So English Greek. Okay. Exactly. But his Greek was better than mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so he got on a lot better with the guys. I battled a lot because even though we learn Greek, we don't learn Greek in you know everyday speak. You know, mm. If somebody learns English and comes to speak to you, it's not the same thing. Yes. You need to know like the slang and that. So already I was on the back foot with that kind of stuff. And the timing that I went, so I had an agent who was a family member. Mm -hmm. And he was an ex-coach of a team called Atromitos, which at the time was somewhat newly promoted. And he got them promoted. Um, and Was he a manager? He was the head coach. He was the head coach of Atromitos. But now at this stage, he was uh, resigned. Oh, retired. Sorry. Um, oh, okay. And although he didn't get me into Olympiacos, um, he got me other stuff uh, later on. But, you know, I wasn't really prepared to go at the time. And I was kind of rushed to go in January. And that was the worst time to go. Absolute worst time. Everyone was somewhat either ending the season mm. or halfway through. Reserve League was Yeah, anyone finished. who follows European League, it's like, uh, January is your mid-season. Yeah, it's mid-season. Mid -season. So there's there's no way you're breaking yeah. into the site now yes. unless they're short on numbers in your position or something along those lines. Correct. Yeah, and they also have their team. Yeah, they've got their sorted. team. And like what was said to me at the end when uh, I, I didn't get in is they said, we're Olympiacos and we're not here to train people to be big names. We just want big names. So the reserve team was a place where they just sell you off to someone mm. just to make something and show that they've got like youngsters in the team and maybe one will break through, but not so much. That's what I gathered. Uh, obviously it's not factual. Uh, That's based. your opinion. Yeah. yeah. So when we got there, there was a lot of like messing around. We play volleyball, football, and you know, I was also end of the season, South Africa in, in terms of uh, social leagues and mm -hmm. stuff. So going there, I wasn't at my fittest either. So there were a lot of things that already I was on the back foot. But when I got there, the professionalism of those players is second to none. Their psychology, they're all very confident, uh, very strong, very fit. That even though if I was at my fittest, mm -hmm. I was already behind. Uh, we did a lot of training exercises where, geez, I could just, I looked at them and I'm like, wow, these guys are strong, very strong, strong. And um, it's, it's a bit intimidating. And I think we were talking before the podcast a little bit about how these uh, African guys go into these teams with nothing. And they somewhat, they make it. And here I am, I've been given quite a good upbringing and I go there and then don't make it. 
is it maybe the lack of suffering that I didn't go through? Yeah. That You're not didn't come, you know, like that's kind of kind of played on, on my mind. But anyway, we'll get into all those things later. Let me just go back to the Rivaldo story. Because people are screaming. Tell us about Rivaldo. Rivaldo, yeah. I'm like a, I'm definitely like a 5FM, yeah. We'll tell you about this and then yeah. ad break and then yeah, anyway. So we're taking shots at uh, the goal on the reserve training field. Mm-hmm. And I kicked the ball over the, the post. Before that, funny enough, I kicked it. There was another. There were two goal areas, and I shot twice over the the goal, and there were flats behind, and I broke two uh, windows. Two windows. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so I had shot over the goal post, and I got which is already it. embarrassing enough. Yeah, exactly. And the coach is like, "Oh my god!" And I was the second person to have done that, and there was another guy after me also broke. So we broke four or five windows that oh day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely crazy. They should put up nets. Yeah, they did. Oh, but there was like a gap. They just have buildings behind the goals. There was a gap like this. Uh, oh, between the between, nets. Between, and we all managed to do it anyway. So I kick the ball over the, the goals, and I go and I collect the ball from the fence, and I see the first team running around. But I'm not really paying attention. I want to get my ball, go back, and, you know, go back to shooting, and then... I just look up and I see this giant figure of a man because you have no idea how tall Rivaldo actually is. You know, you don't really get a sense of how big they are. He's tall yeah. and he's running past and he's the first guy. On, he's not like on the end on that side. He's right by the fence. And I picked the ball up. or I actually didn't pick the ball up. I just held it. I was like, oh, God, it's Rivaldo. And I watched him for a little bit. I'm like, no, you've got to be cool, man. You've got to be cool. Just just go back like, whatever. Rivaldo's just another player. So that that was awesome. And yeah. um, World Cup winner. World Cup winner. <laughs> the Greeks absolutely loved him. He was a Champions League winner with Barcelona. He won La Liga with Barcelona. Yeah. He's He won everything. He, he won everything. He was great. He'd, um, he'd uh, he won was, a lot with Olympiacos already. He was top goal scorer, top assists in one of the World Cups. He yeah. was... Uh, I think he was a top player. Ridiculous diver at one of the World Cups. Yeah, as well. that was yeah. the worst. So it, it was fantastic. Like honestly, it was amazing to see. Uh, and you just got like the sense of I want to, I want to make it there. I can run on that field with that guy. Yeah. Around the field. So that's okay. the Rivaldo story. So now, before you switch back to what happened after Olympiacos at that yeah. time, Andrea, let's talk a little bit about you and your your football history. Like how it started, when you started playing, where you played. Cool, so same as Elias, where good families, loved football all life, played from about five years old, uh, club football at Robertsham first for a couple of years in the <laughs> south of Joburg, <laughs> questionable choice by my parents, <laughs> but then uh, moved to sporting when I was 11 or 12. You were 12, I was 11. We were in the same team, we moved over to sporting the same time, league champions first season got promoted yeah and then yeah i just played at sporting majority of my time playing football i can't really remember going for trials anywhere even though i always always wanted to mm. i might have gone to super sports at the time balfour park was doing trials mm. for super sport at one point which i went to uh didn't get in at the time not sure why i thought i was great but yeah. um yeah Enjoyed my time playing football. The best I got to was uh, the Southern District team that went to Sweden on tour with Elias. So that for me was like the greatest high that I got to. Right. 18 years old, made this team, this exposure in another country. And then the greatest high to the lowest low in the same time where we went to Sweden in the first game, I 
came on second half and I tore my hamstring. The first game of the tournament. And out for the rest out of the tournament. Of course, yeah, I torn mi- hamstring. I missed the whole tournament, basically. So I had to watch from the sidelines, which was, was tough. pretty heartbreaking. Um, the guys did well, though. can't remember how far he got. I don't know if it was last 16 or quarterfinals. Yeah, but it was one of the two. We played some tough teams. and yeah, some, Swedish, some Swedish teams, some American teams. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, quite good. And then I played up until about 2021. 20, it's 14 and then yeah just so i didn't say i lost the love of playing i just started i was studying and trying yeah. to start getting life together you know you start worrying about a career outside yeah, of football exactly. whereas when, when you're building up to that age football mm-hmm. is the potential career sure i think dream. for most of us for me that ended a lot earlier because i got into music and things like that and mm. and i stopped playing and uh your coach at the time at super sports united Mm, before you went was Mike Pavkovich yes, and yes. he was he was a coach of mine at school level mm, mm. and he was so angry with me that I stopped playing mm. to go and do music mm. instead of playing football I always loved football but I think I knew all along I was a few levels below a few of the very top guys and I knew sure I work harder and everything but in terms of just the skill and ability and stuff I'm not going to make a career out of this and I've got other passions that I enjoy as well so I carried on on a social level with football, but I didn't pursue it from like the age of 15 or 16. That's when I mm. sort of cut mine. So anyone who doesn't know my football history, that's sort of about it. I also played for Gauteng when I was young. Uh, then I stopped and then only started playing league football again many years later. I was probably about 25 and I started playing for Germiston City. Um, injury, 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 knees, mm. terrible, stuffed, you know, and... Uh, yeah, could have Look, gone pro. I, I could have gone pro. I don't think <laughs> I could have gone pro. If it wasn't for that knee injury. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could have. I don't think I had the ability. Um, but I think that maybe football journalism is like a little something for me. So I used to write for Give Me Sport, the Writers Academy. Mm-hmm. So I had a few, uh, a few publications there with them, just a few articles published under Give Me Sport. Maybe something to get back into, I don't know. But anyway, uh, right. So let's talk about the pro football level. So you, let, let's go step by step. So you yeah. were at youth level with Supersport United. Yeah, at uh, under 13. From under 13 until? Well, just under 13. Just under 13. Yeah. So under 13, it was like a weird, I don't know if they knew what they were doing, to be honest. They've restructured. It's not the same Supersport as it is now. It's because this was with the partnership with Feyenoord in the Netherlands this around that time. This, this was before Yeah, then. this was before. So um, my team, that uh, it was the under-13s that went, well, actually it was the under-12s that went to the Gothia Cup in Sweden. Um, and at that time, I don't know if it's still the same, but the under-12s would play on a half field not like the other teams who play yeah, full field. they did. So it was only like six or seven, I think it was. And the under-13 team was the core, was uh, that six and seven, which part of it was Daniel Cardozo. He mm. was one of the players. Who is now Kaiser Chiefs, by yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah. And Bufana, Bufana. There, there we go. That's Name it. drop. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and so they were the core side, and then um, everyone got latched on, and I was one of the lucky ones who got latched on. Mm. Um, we had trials what was that do you remember that school um, by Balfour City Balfour Centre uh, is that school across the road anyway mm. there were the trials that were there it was quite cool and then yeah so we got into the under 13 side we had a, a, a decent year we lost out on the title to Pirates 
um, and we won the cup. So it was all right. But what happened afterwards was a bit strange. The it restructured. Uh, Mike Pavkovich wasn't the coach after that. Mm-hmm. We had another guy, Kenneth, and there were two teams. There was like a super sport team and then there was a, a Balfour side. And that's when the Feyenoord uh, connection started. I think it was Feyenoord. Was it Feyenoord? From what I remember, it was Feyenoord. I think Actually, it, was. it, it, was, mm. it wasn't Feyenoord at first. It was NAC or NEC. It's one of those. Uh, it's got like a bear logo. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly which one it is. They started out and then Feyenoord came in afterwards. And they were obviously the bigger club that you yeah. want to align with. And they restructured. I remember a couple of South Africans it. going over as part of that program, going over to Feyenoord to yeah. for their trial system and stuff like that. And yeah. one or two sort of stuck around in Europe as well. Yeah, they're they're quite good with that that stuff. That's why it's, I guess it's good to partner with the Dutch. Um, like Ajax. I, I don't know. If yeah, they were, Ajax have a partnership with Ajax Cape Town here yeah. in South Africa, and they take a lot of players like a development program. That's right. Yeah. It's pretty much where Pinar and Benny McCarthy and all of them got their breaks was from. Yeah, Ajax. and that other one, Selo, what's his name? Um, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but yeah, he was the latest one that went across. Uh, but yeah, so then they restructured. It was quite a weird time because you know we all were on a hype being part of the team. We hadn't lost the game, even though. Well, we lost maybe one game, even though we come second. And then from the next year, it was kind of like the split, where only three or four players got pulled to the Supersport team in a completely new side. It was a weird thing that happened. It was very strange. And it wasn't just us. It was uh, the under-15s, the under-17s. At the time, it was this, not every year. It was 13, 15, 17, and up like that. Um, and then the next year, I actually stopped playing football. I was quite frustrated with that uh, whole split. Mm-hmm. And that whole super sport thing, from what I understand, somewhat dissolved and rebranded. And they had a base in Pretoria now. Um, and that's, they changed the kits, they changed everything. And so it was like a completely Stan new Matthews took it over. Yeah, I think that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Stan Matthews came in and took it over. So for those who don't understand how this all works, what we're describing, um, international, the large international clubs, what they do is they have a lot of funding available to them. So they go and find countries where they think that there's a big talent pool and they will partner with what they call a feeder club, so much smaller clubs. So, for example, any PSL side is going to be smaller than uh, a Netherlands-based side, you know, one of the one of the first team Netherlands sides. So they create these feeder clubs to find youth talent mm. and then they help develop the club. So they help give them... Uh, information, how to train, how to do this, how to do that. They also give them capital funding. And then that way, if there's any talented players that they really like and see potential in at that club, they bring them over and see if they can develop them into first team players in the future. So it's called the feeder club. So we have a couple in South Africa, mostly I think with our Dutch connection, like we were talking about, Ajax, Feyenoord, they have thing. But there's also more. There's Braga have, uh, from Portugal, they have uh, feeder clubs here in South Africa as well. There's one or two others from around Europe. Mm. So it's quite interesting to see that uh, South Africa is one of their talent pool places, uh, less so than the rest of Africa. So I know like Nigeria has like massive talent scouting and stuff over that side because they see massive potential in in the local talent in Nigeria. But um, anyway, for young footballers who are going into it, this is where you started and then you went to Olympiacos. Mm. Let's take it after that. 
So when I've left Olympiacos or when I've... Yeah, yeah as you uh, left. Yeah. So or yeah. just while you were there, what happened? Why did you leave? Yeah. So um, I didn't leave by choice, obviously. Uh, I would have loved to have stayed, but I also somewhat knew that I had to leave. Um, like I said, my agent did discuss with me during the time and said, you know, you're most likely going to have to go lower, build yourself up and then try to get uh, into a team because the guys don't really care at especially at that time when they were buying Rivaldos and yeah. you weren't really going to break into the side unless you were a Messi or someone mm. fantastic, you know. And then in that case, you'd probably be at Barcelona Youth Academy already. Yes. You know? um, so, yeah, so I had the talk with the coaches and they basically were quite nice to me. They said, look, you, you don't have a name, so go out and get your name and then who knows what will happen. They didn't say come back or anything like that. So... I went to a team called Cholargo. Now, again, my Greek wasn't great, so I'm not sure if we were third division or fourth <laughs> division. I had no clue. To but be you were a few tiers down from that first yeah. division. A few tiers down was... Um, I had an opportunity to get into the side. It wasn't as competitive, obviously, as the other teams. Um, so started there. But again, my timing was so off that the season was ending yeah, and it was going into the end of season, and it's like nobody's getting signed. So where was this this team based? Athens. Also in Athens. Yeah, so it's in Athens. It was quite far in. So from where I stayed to get to that club was quite a nightmare. Uh, I had to walk a bit, get on a bus, get on the train, get on another bus. Sometimes catch a taxi or walk. It would take me like an hour to do that whole journey there and back. Mm-hmm. Which again, like we're somewhat privileged. So yeah, that's hard. It was annoying. Yeah, you get dropped off by mom and dad. Um, and then you're right there. So it, w- it was quite quite strange. And again, remember, I'm 17 at the time. So my mentality is not exactly that strong. I guess if I went back with my mind now, maybe things would have been different. Um, but anyway, so I get to this club and, it, and it's quite tough because it's, it's a bunch of guys all eager to make a name for themselves. Uh, there's less arrogance as they, uh, and there's more aggression. So I had quite a few fights with people also being quite fiery myself. Mm. So... When I get to the, the, the change room, the one guy comes up to me, English is shocking. He says to me, he's from South Africa. So yes. He's like, Paletet, Paletet. And he's saying to me, Paletet. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it turns out he was trying to say Sean Bartlett because they all know Sean uh, Bartlett. Sean Bartlett. He was like, big yes, from, from, from South Africa. Um, so we started playing and I got put into an unfamiliar role. Where here I was more of a center defensive midfielder. There I was a striker because everyone was just so strong. It was crazy. I, I remember walking in and finding out that the first training game, someone broke his leg and another guy shattered this cheekbone in going up for a header. Jeez. And I was like, whoa. And that's what it is. It's, it's really physically tough. And we'll go into all of this in detail, but I feel like one of the, the things about South Africa, and I'm not just talking about, like I said, the privileged guys. I'm talking about everyone. We have like a, a very uh, bad system in terms of training people to be physically strong, but also mentally strong. We, mm. We're lacking so much in that, that that transition from going from this to that uh, as a newbie, right? I'm not saying like the guys that go over that have somewhat been at Pirates and they've got a little bit of it, but I feel like there's, there's a lot lacking in that. So it was, it was a big challenge because it's not easy, you know? You get to a team, you're a foreigner. Even though I'm Greek, I'm not Greek in their eyes. Uh, mm. you, you're challenging someone for their job. So they, they got their buddies already, that they've been there for quite some time. 
So their buddies are also like, no, but you know, it's like a love island, you know, if you've watched Love Island. <laughs> You're not gonna want that person to steal your buddy's girlfriend. It's the same thing. The girlfriend is the job, it's yeah. the position. So anyway, I got pushed up into a striker role and actually did quite well. Uh, it was it was funny because they, they don't really do a lot of they don't use skill that much. It's just physical. brute force, get it in the box and hit it. So I would use my skill and get away. And I'm not terribly skillful, but I was compared to those guys, which was quite cool. Because South Africa's a big skill league. Like if we yeah. look at its its touches, step overs, things yes. like that, try beat the defender, then create space, then okay. zip it into someone's feet far too hard and then laugh at them if they can't control it. That exactly. seems to be like the, we used to call it PSL passes. Yeah. You zip it in really hard really to someone's hard. feet oh. instead of play them into space or something and, and you know, challenge their controllability. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a big part of our local game. Yes. And not not that you're necessarily describing all European football, but Greek yes. football in particular, very yeah, physical, very. get the ball wide, pump it into the box, try win a header and score a goal that way. Yeah, 100%. And I'll just quickly tell you a story of how I got absolutely screamed at. Uh, <laughs> so we had a track around our field in the Athens, I think it was the Athens uh, um, athletic team was training. So they'd run around. And, you know, you 17 again, there are these fit girls running around and you just <laughs> want to impress, you know, like, wow, I've got to do something cool. So uh, we were training in someone in the uh, last quarter of the field and I, got, I get the ball wide. And, you know, in South Africa, we were trained to cut back instead of cross. Obviously, you cross now and then you use yeah. discretion. But if you could, you'd cut back because headering is not a great talent that we had at the time. And uh, we we're somewhat shorter um, than they are, and obviously physically uh, they're much bigger. So I did that. I cut behind the guy, and I thought I did a great job. I sold him for peanuts in the corner, and I get behind him. I'm ready to pick up my pass, and I just hear the whistle screaming, and everyone just stops. And this coach comes at me with words that I don't understand, but I understood <laughs> them, if you know what I mean. You got, exactly you got what, what he meant. You knew you and were in at trouble. that time, these fit girls are running around in the corner, and they all stop and watch me getting shat on. <laughs> and it's all because I didn't cross, because that was the thing. There they want the ball in the box because they hit it like champions. And put it in early. Put it in early. It's like somewhat English style in a way. Lower, again, lower division, I would imagine. Put it in the box. In fact, I, had a, a, I met a guy here long ago in a club, and he went to Fulham, and he said the same thing. He, he said, you know, you've got to put it in the box. There's no other, they don't want anything else put it in the damn box now so like there's like a little little bit of a, a funny story of how the different culture clashes come in and you think you've done a great job but actually wow you you're getting screamed at okay well i think that we could we can get into this a little bit i remember obviously us being exposed to what football we watched as as youngsters we were lim we watched limited actual psl mm. we watched a lot of english league Plenty. in the Major early 90s majority was english english league and I think in the early 90s, mid 90s, when we were watching football, you'd see a lot of that. A pacey, skillful wide player, one. Mm. You didn't have left and right. Only Man United had a, had a top player left and right. Like, like a pacey, skillful player on both flanks. Not many teams had that. So they'd have one guy on the right-hand side who was quick, normally a bit smaller, a little bit of skill, but they were just quick enough to get down the right-hand side 4-4-2 formation, which is nearly dead now. Only lower league teams seem to be playing with a 4-4-2. Uh, you'd, get, you'd get a player down the right-hand side, lots of skill, has to have a right foot on him. Mm. Doesn't even cut back on a left, nothing like that anymore. 
down the right-hand side, whipping a ball, and you got two hardy, tall, big centre-forwards who would attack it for a header. Mm. And I think that was the English game. When, when we were younger in the early 90s, you'd see a lot of it. That's what we lived off. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we, what we knew. That's what Even we knew. our formations at a time when we were playing, that's what we, our tactics were, basically. Four two. Get it down to the wing, get a first-time ball in. Yeah. I, was, I was 25 years old the first time I played in a team that didn't have a 4 4 2. The yeah. first time I played in a team that didn't have a 4 4 2 formation, I was 25 years old. Must have felt weird. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. It was because I think my tactical knowledge grew by that time. And that for me was always my game. I didn't have much natural ability. I wasn't the best player. I wasn't the fittest. I was never, ever the fittest. Um, don't you have asthma? I, I don't have asthma, but I have uh, exercise-induced pulmonary edema. Oh, yes, so what that means, I've got a thin lung membrane. So you have blood running around your lungs sort of all the time. And there's a membrane protecting your lungs from getting blood in them. Mm. What happens when I exercise a lot, a lot of breathing, a lot of breathing, that membrane ruptures slightly. So I get blood into my lungs and I'll start coughing up blood if I exercise a lot. Now, it's not a serious condition. It's not life-threatening or anything. But the thing is to be like a pro athlete, the amount of running you have to do and the fitness levels you need to get at, Mm. it's going to be very difficult with a condition like that. This is only something I knew long after I had no chance of having a football career anyway. Um, but to me, I remember being very young and thinking, oh, that's normal. You just, you run a lot and then you cough up blood. You know, <laughs> that just means that you've Weird. run too much. You know, I just thought, okay, that's pretty normal. You just, you've just run too much. So like, just run a little less than Why that next time. you guys vomit Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, mom, look, I trained hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's, I pushed myself. I was proud of myself a little yeah. bit because you like, you worked so hard yes. that you're coughing up blood, you know, like I worked harder than everyone else. That's great. Um, um, but <laughs> yeah, thinking beyond that, uh, I always thought tactical side of the game, you know, that was always my thing. Uh, and I think that's why I was pretty good defensively because then it's like, okay, you've got skill, you've got ability, you're quicker than me, whatever. So what I'll do is I'll just monitor how you're playing. I monitor that. Okay. This guy likes to use his left foot. So I'll just push him out this way. Just push him out this way. Then he can't do anything. Just push him out this way and he can't do anything. Um, you know, get goals out of your man, run sideways, things like that, so that if someone tries to play the ball in, you've got that covered, you've got that area covered, and that was always part of my game. And I always hated the 4-4-2 formation for that because it left you vulnerable. I love a packed midfield. Love, love, love a packed midfield. I was so excited when Louis van Gaal took over at Man United, being a Man United fan, I thought, yes, three at the back, we're going to solidify that and then have super fit wingers, wing backs, with the three at the back, so you're solid. You've got your defensive midfielders helping that that centre back three, and you've got wingers pumping up the sides like like a Juventus side, you know, from the past. So I was excited about that. But anyway, playing for a team that had five in the midfield for the first time, I loved it because then you know you can distribute the ball to one of them, and you have freedom of the wing backs overlapping your wingers. Um, and you got as long as you've got a striker who's going to take chances because you're going to create chances for that one person up front if you've got five in the midfield and you're also going to be more solid. You're going to make it so difficult for the other team. Mm. I think that's key. And, I mean, this is why the 4-4-2 formations almost completely disappeared at, at really top-level sides because if you've got players with ability, you're playing against players with ability, you have to mitigate the risks before you can actually go ahead and play with freedom mm. I think that's important so again like I said that that's what we grew up on you know get the ball wide play it into the two center forwards make sure that they just pump into the box they're on the last man 
there was very little of the stepping off and creating space and stuff like that. They were on the last man, always. Yeah, and, and Skolzi standing on the edge of the, the box, box to pick waiting. up whatever yeah. else. There would always be the number 10 or Cinemid ready to just yeah. crack one in. I don't think there was even a 10 at that time. You know, your number 10 yeah. was your second striker and they were yes. both on the last defender. Or yeah. it would just be like the, the 9 and the 10 would just be a little bit behind him. Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Flick, maybe. Flick it onto the number 9. If you had a skillful little yeah. number 9 and that yeah. was, if I... If I think back to the England side with Emil Heskey and Michael Owen, you had Emil yeah, Heskey, the big, that. bulky, Ooh. strong guy, big, tall guy. They just pump the ball into him. He'll hold it up, but like uh, Marwan Fellaini, if you haven't watched football, if you're like younger and you only started watching football more recently, yeah. Emil Heskey could hold the ball up like a dream. Yeah. And he had good feet and he had just laid off to Michael Owen, who had all the pace in the world. Yeah. All the pace in the world. He just left people for dead. I think if you put him in a in a team today, he wouldn't look as pacey. He was quick. He'd still look quick. But then he just outran everyone. He was just so quick and he had a finish on him. And I think that was the combo that worked so well. You get a big centre forward and he just holds the ball up for the skillful smaller guy and that's it. And they just attack headers, attack balls. That's it. So... This when you went to Olympiacos, obviously four four twos. When you went down to lower division, four four twos. Well, I don't know if uh, Olympiacos had a four four two. That's actually interesting. Um, I can't remember. We didn't play. Like we we were training in the reserves. We didn't mm. play a game, so I'm not too sure what they used. Um, in fact, in the at Cholargo, we played a four five one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh. But you know that somewhat becomes a four four two in attack, and that was one of the things that became big in that time. Is that it's not one formation; it's two formations. Yeah, yeah. Your defensive, your formation. defensive formation. Mm. And with a four four two, what's lacking is you don't have that uh, ambidexterity mm. as much as if you've got three guys in the midfield. Maybe one can go two hold back, one uh, the wing back cuts in, or whatever it is that you're going to do with with those formations. But yeah, it was that typical get it in the box. Um, I do think they did play that way because they were less skillful than, mm-hmm. say, at Olympiacos, where they could be that skillful side and take p- people on. And you got Yaya Torre and Rivaldo. Yeah, <laughs> and Yaya Torre on his debut for Olympiacos, I remember watching it on TV, takes a shot from the halfway line practically and scores, and everyone goes absolutely crazy. Within two weeks, he sold <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to Barcelona. Barcelona. But yeah, and... Um, and it's quite interesting because Andrea and I played together quite a lot. Uh, we played at Sporting, we played a 4-4-2 basically all the time. Pretty much yeah. most of the time we played 4-4-2. And I don't know if it's... That's when you were in, in central midfield. Yeah. And so, you were sort of conducting. So I, I've always been central midfield. At just at that time at... In Greece. In Greece. You? And then in my later years playing socially at Corinthians and that, I, I was moved to centre-back, which I absolutely hated. And I was like, no, <laughs> not doing that. I was a good tackler, but... Best I, tackler I just, I'd seen, actually. Yeah, I just didn't want to tackle that. I'd like to dictate. I mean, you mm. guys know I'd like to be on the ball. But the 4-4-2 was a, a weird formation. At uh, Supersport, we used the 3-5-1. Uh, 3-5-2. 3-5-2. Which is probably what Mark Pavkovic... And it's, yeah. a, it's a strange one, and people use 3-5-2. In those days, it was advanced. Yeah, it was advanced. <laughs> and also, the, the thing with the three at the it back... It was the Italian formation. Yeah. yeah. It was like known as like a Serie A thing. Like Catanaccio. it's, ah, uh, oh, we're doing an Italian. Yeah, you know? they'd form the Catanaccio. But it would also be like quite aggressive because your your back three were center backs yeah it wasn't along the line right. no which it's a back five when yes. you're defending when you're defending and then when you're going forward it's a back three so your wing backs 
Oh, they've got to be super, super fit. fit. Otherwise, that formation kind of yeah. dies out. The most important position yeah. in that formation is your wing backs. Yeah, for sure. The wing backs and the center defensive midfielder. Yeah. Because he's got to make sure that across that line he kind of covers. Yeah. Because it's vulnerable. So that if, on the if one of the. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. So you need at least one holding yeah. midfielder. Yeah. So that when one of those three has to split to cover for the bombing on wing back, yeah. that central defensive midfielder needs to f- fill back into that centre back position yes. to cover that position, and you're switching to a back four at that stage almost. Yes, yes. Uh, defensively, that's yeah. just on the recovery. Yeah. You know, so if once, you, yeah, so once you've lost position when you're in a recovery mode, yeah, you have to slip in to cover that position because one of your centre backs have to shift wide. Yes. And that's that's why it's so useful because then once you're on the attack, you slip back up, and that wing back's able to recover again, mm. get hold of the ball, do overlapping runs, things like that, and you've got your passing midfielder mm. who can now dictate the play. Exactly. Yeah. It's get sad to say this, but that's the way Liverpool basically killing everyone at the moment with mm. the wing backs. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a four-three-three formation, but the wing backs are just top players, Jeez. and then they've got like a Jordan Henderson doing really well in the midfield, mm. where he's able to cover and dictate. So the thing with with Liverpool at the moment is that they've they are very good possession side, mm. and and they've got the best centre back in the world who's able to cover sort of two positions by himself. So yeah, that, that gives them... Yeah, <laughs> Lovren, yeah, absolutely. Not Virgil van Dijk, he's a clown. No, yeah, he's dead average. <laughs> dead average. Dead average. I think that makes a big difference to their side from a tactical standpoint is that they've got this just incredible centre-back who's almost covering two positions uh, and it gives the rest of the team freedom to think. So it's almost like playing with a 3-5-2, but you're playing with four at the back. Yeah. So that's that's the benefit of having a player like him. I mean, you look at where Liverpool were finishing. They were scoring lots of goals, but they were finishing fifth, sixth until he came yeah. in or fourth. And uh, when a he of came slips in, here and there. yeah, one or two. But compared to to his benefit, mm. he's been unreal for them. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great signing. Yeah. So, Andre, where did you play that. in this in this era? Uh, so while Elias was in Greece, I was still playing at Sporting at the time. At that point, um, recovered from the torn hamstring after the Sweden trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, still played under 18s, 19s till 20. So then when you got to 20, if you hadn't really made it in an academy or yeah. any sort of team, you, st- you start like thinking of other paths to go on mm. in life. So that's sort of what happened with me. Ended up stopping playing 11-a-side football, was playing a bit of indoor soccer. Socially. Socially. Sort of still love the game, follow it pretty much still till the day mm. I'll die. But um, that dream of being a pro footballer sort of died at around 19, 20 years old. I think I could still get into it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm only 31 years old. It's never too late. <laughs> Let's go to Stellenbosch. Well, I mean, Both like, uh, yeah. start lower and then... Jamie Vardy and them got in late, so... But you see, this well, is... Well, Vardy a, was playing league football, it was just lower league. Non-league, This, is, this is a point that, uh, that I think needs to be raised, is that, let's say I'm in England, right, and I'm 19, 20 years old, I haven't gotten anywhere. I somewhat still actually have a chance, right? The opportunity's still the there. The opportunity's there, and, and I'm not saying that... I'm not breaking the teams down here, right? But if you're going to make it and have a good career and make enough money and whatnot, you've got to then break into the Sundowns, the Kaiser Chiefs, mm. and the Pirates and those big clubs, right? Mm. Your chances of doing that is so slim. 
It's very slim. But and now, in England, uh, you mm. can go into a championship side, maybe even a league one side, and make somewhat of a career out of you. Get a Jamie Vardy lucky break. Even below league one, non-league. He was Chris Smalling. Or, like all those Troy guys Beanie. came out of nowhere. So you almost have this thing like, okay, I'm going to still try because it will be worth my time. Yeah. But let's say I get, I tried here, and I'm not saying this is what stopped me, it's just a thought afterwards. If I got into, and I'm not breaking these teams down, but uh, free state stars, right? Yeah. Um, I have to, and actually it's funny because Danny did it, and he did well to get Danny into Chiefs because they, let's just do maths. How much can you make at free state stars? Probably. For how play. long are you going to play mm-hmm. and how long is that going to sustain you for? So it's almost like, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. So I wonder how many players have done that. I didn't do it. I, I'm, I'm honest. I, I didn't, that wasn't my thought process. I just stopped when I came back from Greece. Um, but how many players have just gone, oh, it's not worth the effort. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go down another route. How many players have been lost to that kind of thinking? Because the, the league is... I, I think know. the other thing is even when you're playing for the lower division sides here in South Africa, even if you're playing like non-league, uh, a lot of non-league sides train in the same facilities as PSL sides. So like when I was playing at Germiston City, we were training at the same facility as Morocco Swallows, which mm. is a giant side. Mm. And I mean, if you make the Swallows first team, you're earning enough to make a good living. Um, you're not going to kill it and retire, but you're mm. earning enough to make a very good living, yes. you know. Um, and I remember, obviously, the coaches at Swallows, they wouldn't have, like, scouts watching us, but the coaches obviously would monitor what we're doing. And if they liked a player, they'd come to the coach of your side and they'd say, first thing they'd ask, who's that? No, his name's so-and-so. How old is he? If you weren't 21, 22, if they, say, if they liked you and the way you played and you're 25, 26, they'd just walk off. They just walk off straight away. As soon as they say, oh, he's 25, 26. They walk away straight away. Yeah, it's it's just too late for them to invest time in you and energy in developing you. So they see potential. I mean, unless you're a real worldy of a player. A gem, an uncut gem. But I mean, they're already only picking you out because you're, you're standing up above everyone else in that game. You know what I'm saying? They're picking you out. They say, look, that guy's got vision. He's got passing ability. He's got something that they re- that makes you stand out. So mm-hmm. that's why they're asking about you already. And as soon as they hear your age, it, it's just too difficult for them to say, listen, come to Swallows, come for trial, whatever. They don't even give you a trial. Mm-hmm. They just, as soon as they hear your age, they're like, okay, it's too old. We've got a lot of young, talented people who rather concentrate on getting them up to level. Yeah. And I think that's what's difficult. I'm sure it's similar overseas. It's it's just what makes sense for a club mm. to you know you where are you at at this point? Mm. Is it good enough to make our first team? No, you know hardly ever are you going to be good enough to make a first team when you haven't trained at first team level. Mm. Um, and do you have time to make the first team? No, you know once you've hit that 25 mark, far too old to make it there. Yeah, but I guess like if you're still 21. <laughs> The juice is worth the squeeze to try. Yeah, right? of course. Whereas I would still, I would argue if you're 21 here, again, not all cases. Let's not generalize in uh, every case that it's, that it's uh, you know. Mm. But you, you you get to 21. I think the opportunity shrinks a bit the, already. It's yeah. shrunk. And also, like, you make it, right? Where do you make it? You make it in a lower team. And then you're going to stay there till you're 30, let's call it. And then after that, what are you going to do? There's absolutely no way. Oh, should I cut myself here? There's absolutely <laughs> no way that um, you're going to make enough money after that, if you know what I mean. So That cut is why you didn't make it. Yeah, I didn't make it. Damn it, man. I'm, I'm a He's wuss. weak. 
I'm weird. <laughs> Leads easily. I, I don't have enough Greek blood in me, damn it. But yeah, so it's it's an interesting point. And uh, the other thing that I find is a bit lacking is the transition from social to um, the bigger clubs. I'm, I really don't know what it is like now, but I know at our time there were so many strong players playing in like sporting, Robertson. I mean, Robertson was almost like an academy on its own as much mm. as... We don't want to align with Robert, Robbie's because mm. we're sporting boys and lineal boys. I mean, yeah. They're our enemy. Yeah, damn. But, I mean, they did quite well in a couple of plays. Mark Van Yellen from Robert Chim. Daniel Cardoza is actually also, well, let's not say that he started at sporting. Then he went to Robbie's. Have, did you guys ever play at Robert Chim? Like a game or two or like a training session or two? You did, hey? I what, played like it for them or against them? No, for them. Did you oh, ever no, play I played, at I played, yeah. I played at Robertson for went. about five years, actually. I think everyone in Janus works out. If you, if you were point, pretty good, you played for Robertson for a little bit. At yeah, least. that's I where know. I started my career as a junior footballer. I yeah. was at Robertson. And then there was some politics. I don't know. When you're young, you don't really understand what's going yeah. on. You just want to play. And the then politics are everywhere. Politics with coaching, parents, and all of this stuff. So then we moved like half of the team left and went to sporting and then we gathered some other players and then Elias joined yeah. I think at that from point Lineal. from Lineal, Lineal. Yeah, that's when we played together yeah mm. and then yeah that's how our team from sporting was developed was like an exodus from Robertsham and then you guys just, were a strong side which were a young side your sporting our side our sporting team yeah. were quite good yeah it, it was it was an interesting one because we started low there was no age group if I remember we started the we age group the, we were the age group that year so we started like League 3, one got pro- double promoted into League 1. Mm. And then it was quite a good team and every year got progressively yeah. better. We were playing against then Robertsham, yeah. Ram- the, Ramberg. The one year where you got into League 1, the first or the whatever they called it, um, it was a bit of a struggle, if I remember. But I'd left, I'd gone down an age group to, um, with Carl Gonzales and, and, and that age group. But then I remember your team got progressively better. Yeah, every when year. we got to like 15, 16, 17, our team grew strong, quite strong again. Yeah. We got some new players. So then we were playing against Kaiser Chiefs, Swallows. All their youth sides. All their youth sides at the same time. So that for us was a good learning experience. Yeah. And like you think to yourself, shit, so I'm going to play well. Hopefully I could get scouted here. Yeah. You know, you'd play your best games against those guys. Hope to not catch like a 4 or 5 nil. Yeah. Which happened against Pirates. More than once, I think, to us. Yeah. Their fitness but, levels were but, ridiculous. Uh, we, we couldn't compare. I mean, these guys are training every day. Mm. Academies, they looked after food, whatever. At that stage, we didn't know anything about... Yeah, you were still men. worrying about school and girls. You're still worrying about girls, school. You don't know what to eat. You don't know anything, yeah. really. I remember the best game on... It was a Rand Stadium. We played against Morocco Swallows. I think it was under-17 team. And we like absolutely killed them like two or three nil on their ground at the stadium. It was yeah. like the best feeling ever. Mm. And then, yeah, you just hope. At Rand Stadium. At Rand Stadium, yeah. Jomo Cosmos. Yeah, exactly that. But it was yeah. Swallows were playing that their home like, games. Oh, there they were playing at that, their home at games that there at that stage. Yeah, yeah, so that was just an amazing feeling, but nothing came from it. But yeah, it, good it, times. And it's like, so going back to the points of competing with those guys right it's just science and we used to do it at, at super sport so what they would make us do is they would make us go through rigorous fitness training where you want to pass out and then shoot so your first two shots you get in and then you start making really ridiculous mistakes your third shot you're like why did i scuff that the third the fourth one 
I kicked it completely wide. The fifth one, I hit it right at the keeper. And it was just the point that your fitness prohibits you from yeah. doing things. It, it stops your mind from um, you know, calculating quickly enough to do things and shuffle your feet, yeah. whatever it is. So you know, you know, when you're playing against fit people, whether it's Pirates, whether it's Robert Chum, or whether it's whoever mm. the hell it is. You find in the first few minutes yeah. you're keeping up. You keep it, and then... And you, then you, that's why those night games, I remember, was always tough. Like if you played one of those teams in a night game, you had a little bit more oomph because you had a bit more fitness. It was the Saturday afternoon, one o'clock, mm. two o'clock. When games. the sun's the, beating that down That sun was always hard. And the uh, cabbage patch pitches yeah. where you're breathing in, <laughs> inhaling yeah. sand. For and us, it was like fantastic. the best. When we knew we were playing those teams, we knew we were playing on like quality fields. Yeah. You're playing at Chiefs or one of their home grounds, you know, it's like... The pitch is it's, good. It's, it's green grass. You're not on like dry gravel almost. Us from like the Haarfelt and, and Johannesburg South in particular, you'll remember, Elias and you, Andrea, as well. Yes, our pitches were... You would have... First of all, the, the grass was thorns. Elias's knees were just blood, basically, Constantly. every game. <laughs> the pitch was sandy brown, <laughs> yeah. everything. And if there wasn't a divot where you were, you were lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's true, yeah. I yeah. think that's also another reason why, obviously, we have a lot of mutual friends who also went overseas and, and tried it out there. And, yes. I, I, you know, my, my biggest memories from a lot of them is coming back with injuries yes. and having a good moan, you know, like really upset coming back saying, look, I did well there they weren't going to invest in me because I have shin splints, I have knee injuries, whatever. Yeah. And it's all about how we run here and the sort of pitches that we played on for such a long time mm. that we like affected our bodies terribly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that. And it's also, I think um, the lack of professionalism from a psychological and physical point of view, you need to look after your muscles. You need to take ice baths. You need to do a lot of things pre and after the game you know, that's what the one gripe I had when we did go to Supersport. Uh, we were promised so many things. Uh, it was supposed to be psychological evaluation, eye tests, because all these little Probably things. diets. Diets, mm. everything. All these little things make a difference. You know, if you see better, you're going to play better. If you've got, um, I mean, it's a good example of Lukaku, who's completely overweight with United the whole time. It wasn't because of training. It was, he was, he had a dietary problem. Probably just... It was diet. It, I don't know Badly what it was. advised on diets, man. Yeah, yeah he, well. he was given a diet, but his body, he was allergic or he didn't react well to something. I'm, I'm just using wheat as an example. It was wheat. The Italians picked it up. They took it out of his diet. And within a couple of weeks, he started losing weight. And if you see Lukaku now. It's more lean. Yeah. And that's a little, like an example of a little difference to see, oh, okay, that's something we can do and uh, help this player along. So... That there was a lot of that lacking. So a lot of guys, as you say, rightfully, my hamstrings are, are shattered. I can't run long distance anymore. Mm. If I try long distance, something's going to pull. And I did. I, I tried to go back into social football. I, couldn't, I can't play outdoor anymore. My hamstrings are just way too tight. So I'll play indoor and just walk around when I feel like it. Andre's got the same problem. His mm -hmm. hamstrings are also super tight. My left one just never really... Got yeah, better. Never really got better. And also when, when you pull, so if I pulled the muscle, the onus was on me, even though I was at an academy, to go to my own physio. Look after yourself. Look after basically. myself and do my own little regime to recover. Where as a 13-year-old, 
who's honestly gonna do <laughs> yeah. all the things they For tell you, you to do yeah, yeah of course and also like they'd be like do this exercise to strengthen this and strengthen that. and you're like oh whatever I'm young unless you're care, messy where you're going to Barcelona and they're gonna invest all the time and energy yeah. in the world to you and the steroids give you yeah. some yeah. growth hormones <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah but that's like and I hope that the, the scene has changed in South Africa, but I, I somehow doubt it. We have a mentality where we just want things to happen. I think there's, next there's day. just a lot of like, lack of funding. So I think the biggest movement now for young footballers that has come up is we're seeing super sports, uh, you know, kick it off campaigns. You know, these, these small super sports academies where a large corporate like super sports is funding coaching and things like that for little kiddies so that their parents don't have to figure out. Mm. all of that stuff I think that's the sort of grassroots thing that's going to help South African football where we're going to not lose our talent pool I think that's the frustrating part mm. a lot of what we're talking about now it sounds like moaning that we didn't make it and yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. It's and it's fine like I, I, you know I'll be the first to admit I probably wouldn't have made it anyway you know you can give me all the sports science and whatever you want it's, I'm unlikely to have made it anyway which is fine mm. Um, but the sad thing is that I know so many guys and you being one of them where I thought to myself, yes, it's you guys are so when, when you're playing at kiddies football and you see two or three guys that just like look different world, they look like they're playing they three, four years, the yeah, but they look three, four <laughs> years above where they play. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're 13 and you can step into the under 16 side and, and play with them and they'll, they'll kick you to pieces, but you'll turn them inside out and play whatever. When you see those players and they don't necessarily make it and they don't go on, I think that's frustrating where you guys are top players and then you've got like knee injuries and there you go. Sorry, no chance at a career, go be an accountant. Mm. You know, um, that's where it's frustrating and I think for anyone who's a fan of South African football and wants like the national side to do well or uh, beyond that, that's where it's frustrating where you've got this talent pool of players that aren't getting the right care Mm. And that we we like completely diminishing the ability to have a top side, yeah. and I mean maybe I'm being biased to the community I, I was in, and I just think to myself I see four, five, six players, mostly Mediterranean descent, you know, like Portuguese, Italian, Greek guys, mm. all of these guys just have all the ability in the world, playing well in our just little local kickabouts, look a different level, but never able to kick onto the professional level because. They're so lim- restricted to their opportunities. There was just no like direction on where to go. Mm. Yeah, We were yeah. almost clueless without knowing about what was happening. Yeah, We just had no idea where to go. I guess we were stuck in a weird time as well because there was a Pirates Academy, and I'm using quotation marks, because they weren't really in academy stage. They were more like a football club. And then Supersport just started. Um, there was no real academies when yeah. you were around. It was the clubs were the the powerhouses of football and the onus was on those coaches there to go and find the talent as well yeah and they actually did well again like just thinking about how small the south is it produced two players that are playing i mean mark van heden made it early on mm. um daniel made it a little bit later on but, but he made it so big. well yeah and then there were there's a couple of young guys that are coming through i know diaz uh, miguel he's at tux yeah. he's at tux so it's like there's, there's this talent in this little area mm. and um, I, I don't know what it is. So I don't have the story that goes, I got injured and I came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I had the story that goes, I just got so fed up um, and I just you called just it quits. It over there. And again, I'm not saying I would have made it any, any way, shape or form, but just I got fed up and mm. I could have stuck it out 
and who knows what would have happened. But it's just it's frustrating, man. It's really frustrating also to leave. You, you know, something I don't understand about this country. Why do why are we driven to leave? You know, why are we yeah. driven to leave the country? You to want, go and make it in Europe. You want to yeah. make it big. And that's one of the things. You want to go to Europe because it's a, it's a big league. It's like if you work. You want to go work for PwC if you're an accountant or mm. EY. You know, you're not striving to work for Joe and Joe accountants uh, on the corner of Rosettenville. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's whatever. But there's like if you just had a little bit more homegrown, and again, I'm talking then, it might, I, I don't know the scene at the moment um, right now. But if you just had that little bit of a transition where you got in, you got a bit of experience, a club like Pirates is going, he has these guys, boom, put you in the team, sweet. You really got a, a way to go. Now when you go to Greece and you're like, oh, I'm from uh, Sporting. Oh, what's Sporting? I was going to say, what's like, that? Luckily, Sporting was okay Lisbon, yeah. because of that. So a lot of guys were like, oh, that's like, um, you know, they linked they with Sporting. They affiliated so to I'm like, Sporting yeah, I would just say yes, but obviously. Yeah, they're uh, not at all. Not yeah, at no. all. They're, and again, uh, how, what which a was sad, actually, if you thought which about Which is like, it, like Maritimo know, in, in the south now also, as well, which came with that club only started a few years after this. You know, yes. it's, it's, uh, it's a newer club than yeah. Sporting, but it's... Uh, it's not fi- affiliated with Mar- yeah. Maritimo in, not in at Portugal. Not at all. Yeah. Or Union or, or whatever. Any of, them, any of yeah. them. And it's quite sad because going to the Portuguese guys, there were a ton of talented Portuguese yeah. players that if somebody had a brain to bring them over for more trials and more training, I mean, I can start naming them. It was Carl Condolves. I'll say Daniel Cardoza because, again, that potential wasn't reached. I don't think his potential was reached in terms of going into a big club like yeah. that. Again, like he made it later on in his career, which maybe stifled his opportunity. Who knows? I don't know what to say about that, but he had a lot of potential. I think he's doing well enough. No, obviously, I'm saying he's doing well, but I think he could have done better. Uh, I think he could have gone way higher than what he's, what he's gone now. His opportunities were way limited. There's uh, Robbie Cadilli. There's... There's so many guys that could have... Sean Herselman. Sean Herselman. Okay, he's not Portuguese, but yeah, Sean Herselman. There was a guy on my team, Miguel, I can't remember his surname. Our friend Justin Donerke. Justin But he had the injuries. Donerke. Yeah, he had... Yeah, no, Justin was... Um, I thought he was a top player. Justin I, I was still, a, I'm still a big fan of Justin. He was like that... Dude, sorry, can you pause? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I did to my finger. Um, he was like that typical, we're saying that winger, that yeah, fast yeah. winger, gets down the wing with insane skill it was like yeah. a like a gigs type player also one of those guys that you look at and go why didn't you make it you know geez apparently he's right foot according to Kilmanock <laughs> but we should get him in like he didn't have enough of a banger of a right foot not enough power in his strike yeah that's that's ridiculous eh? because I remember him being had a strong shot but obviously with injuries yeah you lose it so I had a strong shot and I lost it by he had a powerful shot it. but apparently from what he's told me and I, I shouldn't be speaking on his behalf we should just rather get him in yeah sometime but uh, he said in the Scottish League even though he had a more powerful shot here in South Africa than a lot of the guys yeah. when he was there not, really. not at all yeah sure, like it wasn't it wasn't powerful enough like they did they try to develop his technique to yeah. to hit the ball even harder and strike it cleaner yeah 100% it's, it helps to have a strong shot but uh, well, like you say, we'll have to speak to him. Yeah. But then moving away from us, the, the Mediterraneans, if you yeah, want yeah, to yeah. group us. Uh, again, if you look at the skill level in the townships. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Up, you play with those guys. Turn you inside out. And you can go play in Europe with all the Spanish and all the whoever you want. Nobody has these, and always just baffles my brain, those flexible ankles. They're like twist and turn. And 
They're There's all not, over the show, really. Like that grooming, I feel people are throwing money at things, but they're not throwing expertise and actual following through with a lot of things. Like we are on the one, one hand need a little bit more psychological work and whatnot. Mm. They need tons more. And yeah. it's a weird thing that South African, African players versus Ghanaian, Nigerian, DRC even, why is it that those guys, they'll go with nothing and they absolutely make it big time. Mm. But how many of our South African players go even they have the, the skill and the ability yeah, and they're facing absolutely. probably the same amount of adversity yes yeah even maybe in some cases not as much um and i don't i'm not saying that they don't face adversity i'm saying some countries have war as opposed to yeah they yeah, run away poverty. because of war there's basically. war and poverty and a whole bunch of things you know that are added on top so like what is it that our guys with all the skill are not going and breaking the barrier where Sadio Mane is making it mm. you can start naming basically everyone in the premier league has got two or three of these players like You're brazilians fine. and africans yeah, they always yeah, like yeah. the poorest yeah, guys, the poorest guys. yeah the south american guys and and the african guys you, you find that a lot of the pro footballers you either make it if you're like super privileged and they've been giving you training since you were young young yes. young and they and they like really looked after you the entire time or mm. you're the guys who have so much adversity mm. like okay to be fair marcus rojo is one that like dirt poor family his dad would clean the locker rooms of the squad that he played for in lieu of club fees you know because his dad couldn't pay the club club fees and they figured his son had the ability and some potential so he would go and clean that football club as part of his payment towards the, the son's club fees, you know? So there's, there's something to like this facing so much adversity that pushes you in terms of the determination to go and make it as a great footballer. So if you've got the skill and the natural ability mm. and then you face that adversity and it just motivates you to go wild, you yeah. know, to go really push it hard at it. I think you need to be one or the other. Can't be like us, like somewhere in between. Like you haven't faced any adversity. Everything's so lacker like for your mom <laughs> yeah, and dad. Chill. You know, yeah. like if you didn't make the squad, your mom goes and shouts at the coach because she's paying for you to be there. You know, and she's like, hey, why is my son not playing? And yeah, the poor exactly. coach has to sit there and be like, because uh, he's not yeah. good. He's not you know, great, I don't so. know. <laughs> Whatever. And, um, you know, that doesn't push you to get better. Mm. You know, it's too too much of this this sort of thing hey they're kids they need to all play be fair coach and then you know the guy's like a he's volunteering you know he's not even getting paid to be a coach yeah, he's just exactly. there because he digs football and he wants yeah. to help little kiddies you know mm. so i think you either too much in the middle ground you either have all of the facilities available to you all the sports science everything like that to help you build and that has to be mixed in with self-motivation and self-discipline somehow or you, you face the adversity and you play like township football hmm. and you're just so determined to get out of there that you do everything it takes to hmm. try and make it. Yeah. But like, my question is, why do we not have township superstars like yeah. the Sadio Mane? Yeah. You know, what is it? Is it a different type of adversity? Is it that... Or are we not that level? Are we not, you know, yeah, we look exactly. at Percy Tal, yes. who's doing so well, played yes. a couple of games against Man United in the Is Europa that, League. Uh, Bruges now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Belgium. In yeah. Belgium, on loan from Birmingham City. Brighton. 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 Yeah. From Brighton. That's never, right, Brighton. Ne ne never played. 
the game for he Brighton. hasn't played for Brighton yet. No, they signed him I because of the potential, he, and think, he's gone out on loan straight I think away. It was like a work visa issue, which is the most South African problem. Yeah, <laughs> like you imagine, like you get signed by a yeah. Premier League club, but you can't play there because you're South African. You can't get the visa. You can't get a work visa. It's the most yeah. South African. But problem. I think he'll get a visa having played a certain number of games in Belgium. Yeah. So once he's now played a certain number of league games in Belgium, yes. then the the um, immigration office in the UK will say, okay, he's yeah. clearly a professional footballer. And he's we great. can see by that. He's yeah. a top player. But I really like him. A, Scores he's goals. He's not Sadio Mane, you know. No, that, he's not that, that level. Like the, the point I'm trying How to many Sadio Manes are there, though? Zero. I think he's the best player in the continent, first of all. Yeah, and and I think that he's just a few steps behind Ronaldo and Messi and, and a few of them. Yeah, he's, he's really he's up great. there, one of the top 10 footballers on the planet. Yeah, he probably so, is in the top 10. Yeah, he's, he's around there. Him and Salah are two of the real top boys around. If and those are Africa's top. Yeah. yeah. Really, really top players. Yeah. I think Mane had a ridiculous piece of skill. <laughs> I'm trying to think of which game it was. I don't know if it was the West Ham game. I think it was Aston Villa. It was nil-nil the whole game. Yeah. Last few minutes, they dink a ball from the back. It's behind him. He just stretches out his leg and delicately puts it on the four, sets himself up in one motion, brings yes. the ball down, Amen. strikes it, bang, goal. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, he's, so, he's good running with the ball. They're p- putting the ball through to him. He's like great at running onto the ball and finishing it off. Do you think that perhaps from South Africa, we don't have enough of a blend in our team? So for me, from a tactical standpoint, I look at the South African side. Well, you look at a Bafana, Bafana, but beyond them, even the PSL sides and things like that. Kaiser Chiefs do very well because they're so different to the South African way of playing football. You know, we have a very South African way of playing football, which is all the skill, all of the fancy little tricks, the PSL ping pass, (laughs) you know, the PSL pass, bang it into his feet really hard, hope that he can control it, you know, uh, half the time you must control it because you're playing it too hard, you know, Um, and the opposite of what we call the hospital pass where you're laying it too soft and you're giving the opponent opportunity to get to it or whatever. And I think that we don't have a good blend in our, either the PSL or in the national side itself of these like Mediterranean type talents and things like that that we had. And I think it's why the current Chiefs side does so well is that they're not blowing everyone away like um, the Pretoria side sundowns. You know, they blow people away, the Brazilians. It's all skill, all pace, all skill pass, skill, skill, skill pass, whatever, cut it back and tap it in. Mm. Whereas Kaiser Chiefs just get dogged and bully and pump in a long ball and just try to flick it on with a head aim, one or the, two players with coach skill. Is the German. Or yeah. The, I think he's German. Middendorf. Yeah. yeah. So he's obviously got a strong background yes. from European coaching and all of his levels there. So he's... I, I think that blend is something that we need here in South Africa where we've got a lot of that sort of talent, like where you've got a tactical guy or a passer or whatever, and you mix them in with the skillful players and that's where you've got a good side. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I think that that's where we're really going to take off. Well, South Africa has top goalkeepers. I don't know if you, when you were playing league football, geez, like, I remember we would play in a division, like when I was in my early 20s, we were playing in very low divisions, obviously. It's not, we weren't playing like league level football. And once in a while, you'd come across another team and already before the game, you'd get like a nudge and say, listen, that keeper, he's, he plays for African Warriors. You know, like he's a, he's one of the younger guys he's not first team goalkeeper whatever and you just didn't get the ball past him just didn't get the ball past him unless you had a really great chance for a good tap in or something you weren't scoring today you know and it showed you the different level was he tall 
He was quite a tall guy, yeah. And it's just unreal. You're just not getting the ball past. There's weird rules with keepers. Some clubs don't want like short goalkeepers. It's just like a weird thing. I guess it makes sense. But then, like, you look at Kune, that's... Oh, Shay Given. I think he's quite short. Yeah, Tumelin Kune is a short well. goalkeeper. Bartes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fabian Bartes. But he was... He a, was a top goalkeeper at the time. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems like I don't know what day. happened there. Um, he made a lot of good stops. It was just yeah. the silliness of trying to play out from the back and stuff so like that. There weren't, there yeah. weren't many, there weren't many goalkeepers at the time. Whereas now you look at it, every goalkeeper has to be good That's with their must. feet. It's look at must. Joe Hart, really top goalkeeper. How many Premier League titles behind him? Won everything. England's number one. Pep Guardiola comes in and says, "Cheers." Yeah, because you can't pass. Because you can't pass. Yeah. You, you're not good enough on the ball. Yeah. You're good on the ball, but you're not Claudio Bravo. Yeah. Then Claudio Bravo comes in, <laughs> terrible Jeez. goalkeeper, good on the good with his feet, and then they scrap him again because we Manchester City we can scrap mm. him again. Go look again. Let's bring in the boy from from Benfica, and look at that. Look how that's worked out for them. Top goalkeeper, yeah, done well. unreal with Except his feet. For last week, <laughs> yeah, unreal well, with good his for feet. Us. But uh, that's that's how it all works out. I think that. Football is evolving all the time. Mm. The sports science is evolving all the time. Yeah. I think it's a big part Austin Wenger bringing nutrition and things into Arsenal oh, yeah, team huge. at that time as soon as he came in that Arsenal side all of a sudden not the best players on the planet but all of a sudden that Arsenal side went from being bang average Arsene Wenger comes in all their diets right all their sports science is right tactically he was kind of clever and cute and all of a sudden they're just destroying sides mm. and then they bring in one or two real talented players you know Ian Wright would score a goal from nothing and yeah, Bergkamp the same yeah and they brought Ber- all the French guys yeah, yeah Perez, then Perez Wiltord Henry yeah you know and World Cup winners yeah all these World Cup winners and he, then, cha- he changed the culture of English football basically he did yeah he did because yeah. there was like a, there was a drinking culture there was those, those yeah those players used to go to a pub after like a training or Tony Adams a match Tony Adams was a full on alcoholic yeah and then Wenger changed the whole thing. Yeah. And just because they evolved so far, and it's like when Jose Mourinho came in from his study point of view, and I'll I'll always be a fan of Jose Mourinho because he does so well because of how hard he works. All his success is hard work. All the the behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't see of him doing his press interviews and moaning about this player, whatever, it's just hard work. He'd work three, four, five days straight till 2 a.m., building up to a game, studying the team, studying how they all work, whatever. And he'd give each player a dossier before the game saying, this is the guy you're marking, this is what he does, he turns this way, he turns that way, and you sort of sit and study. You're so well-prepared for the game that your ability came second mm. compared to the your competition. And then now you see Jose Mourinho is not as effective a manager because everyone else had to catch up as well. So they have full-on teams of people studying. You know, you have scouts scouting the, your opposition for three, four weeks in advance mm. that they've already been building reports ahead of the game for a long time so that two, three days before the game, this week we're worrying about the Man United game on the weekend mm. and we're preparing, okay, um, you know, Dan- yeah, Daniel James, yeah, 
Daniel James is going to run at you or Marcus yeah. Rashford's going to run at you at right back. Yes. So what you need to do is this. You know, yes. Rashford's going to cut in on his right foot, push him out on his left. He's not going to get a good cross in. Just yeah. keep pushing him out and on his gonna left. And he's going to hit in any case. He's going to hit it anyway. Except yeah. we bring on Igalo. But anyway. Yeah, there's a, look, there's a little bit yeah. of change for Man no, United, but I, I was just using them as an example yes, yes, for yes. like how you handle that team. You know, there's yeah. all this preparation. When you've got Aston Villa coming to town, it's like, just, just stick three on Jack Grealish and then we'll be fine. Yeah. You know, just man mark. Yeah, just man, just man mark Grealish and then we'll be fine. So, anyway, it was about the preparation and then the whole game changes and that's when Arsene Wenger all of a sudden isn't as effective anymore. Yeah. He comes to the league, best manager by far. Yeah. And he didn't, because he, he evolved the game, everyone else caught up mm. and then all of a sudden he's not the top, top manager anymore. To be fair to him, he, he had like what he had available to him. You know, yeah, he, he had this really top, top side. Then they go buy a stadium and he couldn't bring in yeah. anyone to compete and they just sort of slowly disappeared. And he always says Arsenal's failures moved from Highbury to Emirates. They should have stayed at Highbury. Yeah, but how? But, that, you know, that's the that's a corporate decision. Yeah. That it was a business. Play. It yeah. just became a business. It became, uh, always becomes a business. But, yeah, you're right. Like that evolution of football. But that's, that's why Ferguson give, was so good. Exactly. That's what you're about to say. Yeah, you go for it. Yeah, because Ferguson, I mean, went through all those eras from United being basically, basically crap yeah. from 1987 or 8 when he joined. Yeah, yeah. For like five or six years. He, he was struggling. He pretty much didn't almost win. Fired. Almost got relegated. I mean, fired. well, he fired. was quite low. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the seasons, but nearly yes. got fired. And then just... Won the FA Cup, saved his job. Yeah. And then everything just sort of changed. Then the youth system also came in and saved him. Class of 92. Yeah. All of our heroes, basically. Beckham, Skulls, Giggs. Yeah. I I think like one of Ferguson's good things that he did, he's always had a group of leaders and it was something that was like, it's novel. Even in sport today, like our Springboks won last year, backed by a group of leaders. Obviously, Sia Kalusi was great. But it was a group of leaders. Yeah, not and just like, one. Yeah, you've got, you go into the team and obviously a bit later, it was Brian Robson yeah, at first. Yeah, he was But then Eric Cantona comes player. in and Roy Keane and With all the... Pallister at the back uh, and yeah, Steve Bruce Neville, at that all, time. Like, it always was a group of players. Big, that, strong players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mentality as well. And I think that's with United that was a problem now is we didn't have even one. We didn't have yeah. one leader. Now we've got Maguire, who's a good leader in my mm-hmm. eyes. We've got uh, Bruno Fernandes, who apparently is amazing in the change room. He's a captain already from Sporting. Yeah. And you've got a, a passionate striker like Igalo, who's his dream was to be a United player. He walks in there and is like, wow. And it's all about culture, right? So anything to do with learning is a cultural thing. Well, let's not get carried away with Man United now. <laughs> yes, yeah. Let's not go too far. But yeah, we'll Alex have to Ferguson. see next season. <laughs> but um, I agree with you completely. Yeah. You look at certain errors in Man United. The England captain was a Man United player, couldn't even catch captaincy in that side. Mm. You, it's so rare to have a football club that has international captains that can't even captain their own side because of the, the massive choice of leadership. You know, Roy Keane's there, he's captain. End yeah. of story. David yes. Beckham, you're captain of England. Sorry, yeah. you're not captain of Man United. No. You know, um, and, and there was multiple examples of that. You know, Man United historically, when Ferguson was there, you look at Antonio Valencia, captain of his club, so I can't make captain for for United. Mm. You know, it's a long list of that. You know, Nemanja Vidic is is our leader, finished, end of story. He's the top leader here. He's the biggest personality. Mm. You know, Rio Ferdinand, 
could be a lead of any other side in the Premier League. Not going to be captain here. Edwin van der Sar, captain of the Dutch side, mm. you know, not going to be captain here at Man United. You know, you, you could pick five, six captains out of that side and, and be proud of it. And I think that's been Arsenal's biggest problem in a few years. Yeah. Not one leader. Absolutely. I, I was excited for my friends who are Arsenal fans when Granit Xhaka was coming in because it's like, finally, someone with some guts and some spirit and, you know, something and not just pretty footballers. You know, you need the combination of the two. You need pretty footballers, guys who play unbelievable little pieces of skill, like Sadio Mane we were talking about. I don't think he's an absolute leader. I don't think you're going to yeah. stick a captain's armband on him, but pump the ball up the field and see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he doesn't need to have that on his shoulders, you know? No. So, as yeah. long as there's someone else with some guts and some spirit, like they've got Jordan, Jordan Henderson and Virgil van Dijk and players like that. Yeah. So uh, you are the captain... Well, you're the manager of Manchester United today. Yeah. Andrea, thanks. what do you do? <laughs> Jeez, today. Well, I think... Quarantine, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on a three-week three break quarantine at the moment. But at the moment, um, what Solskjaer has done, I would just use as a, like a sort of benchmark of what United needs to do. Start bringing in more young players, buying the right players. Don't waste your money on... Memphis Depay and yeah. Falcao and sort of have an interview like with that. the player before and yeah, it's like what do you think of Man United don't just let the, yeah. the American owner just decide look that player's looking good in that league I'm just going to go buy him Di Maria kind of you know what I mean which was sad because Di, Di Maria was probably one of the best players we could have got at that time yeah. and then someone and, robbed his house and it was finished and then yeah he hates Manchester basically but I mean I would just keep developing what we're doing the style of play you could see is going in the right direction, more attacking, pressing. Our defence is solid now, I think. I agree. I think they're and good then, players, but there's there's a lack of something. So there. there is still something lacking. So Bruno's sort of filled that gap completely now. Yeah. With the central. But but like if he's gone, who's sort of there? We're not gonna have I don't know if Mata can do the same job as him. So that's a bit slow, yeah. So so like maybe another good player, because I don't I don't know if uh, Pogba is gonna be there next year. Yeah, even if it is, I'd love for him to stay. Yeah, look, he's it's a great, horrible. but I don't know. I almost have. A I'm like on the fence. I've got a feeling that Bruno and Pogba might be like a Gerard Lampard kind of thing. They're going to. Well, you want both of them, but definitely. that's not going to work. Can't, you can't play them together. I don't know, maybe because like you know, Pogba is also not a conservative player. Bruno is also not conservative. How many Man United players in the past were conservative players? Well, the good well, ones are... Gen- are you the saying good the good eras? The good eras. In the past. Yeah. Eric Cantona. Yeah. Would he Not play a safe pass? No. Paul, Paul Scholes just had such vision. I don't think yeah. you can actually use him because he would play a safe pass where in his mind yeah. it was safe, but no one else no, saw yeah. that pass. No, yeah. He was conservative, but... In a way. Nobody yeah. else... In his mind yeah. it was conservative, but it was a risky pass. <laughs> that was it, yeah. Roy Keane wasn't a conservative player and he'd take no. your legs off for you as well. Yes. Konchalski's. Uh, yeah, he was on the left. I would I get fresh. I remember being a kid. It's like, hey, they, that guy's open. Yes. Bang, pays it to the guy who's marked by three players, but somehow squeezes it in between the three or four Great and makes vision. an opportunity. You know, so and I think that was that was a big thing that was lacking. And I think people are going to hammer on at me. Look, Van Gaal was fine. You just needed time. Van Gaal was a joke. He started the safe play mentality. Negative football. The negative football. You can still see it back. in the guys that, that, that play. Were there. They turn backward. Have you noticed for how yeah. many seasons that instead of p- pushing forward, Keep they'll, they'll turn back and, p- 
And it's okay, like, if you've got nothing on. But sometimes just run in front of the player, get a free kick or yeah. something like yeah. that. But you see that the cultural thing that, that I comes mean, Mourinho wasn't there long, but he even mentioned that these players have a bit of this negative football in their mind, the mm. way they were playing with Van Gaal. And he was like, I don't know why they're it, always doing this. It's this whole when philosophy. They could, they could go forward, they turn in and go into the left back or the right back or whatever it is when yeah. there's a, a, a player making a run for it. So United now is at least starting to change that and they're pushing I think forward. Bruno Fan- Fernandes alone has like sort of changed that yeah. mentality almost. Absolutely. It's been himself. like a month of and bliss with him, basically. He's been great and Igalo from a... I mean, they showed that video of Lukaku and Nicolo's touch. Like, obviously, Lukaku's better than Nicolo. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. He's a fantastic striker. But he does, didn't do the stuff that Nicolo's doing for us already. Long ball from De Gea. Perfectly touches, held bang, up. Done. He's held it back. He's pushed the play away. And, he's, and, he, and he doesn't have to be the 90-minute player. He's that 20-minute player. Comes on and just relaxed, chilled. He's happy to be there. He's happy to play one minute. Yeah. It's just a cultural thing. I mean, if you go, if we're sitting here, right, and Andrea's like this, he's leaning down, he's like, oh, I really hate being here. I mean, the room already gets affected by that. I kind think of half thing. of us, we hor- we're not near that level of, of the skill and ability of those sort of players, of a Man United player. Oh, yeah, I mean, those yeah. are like, when you were, when you were six years old, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you're John O'Shea, and we'll, we can rag John O'Shea or Gary Neville or whoever, all we want. They look bang average in that side. They look yes. like a, since you're a joke, buddy. Yeah. But when they were three or four years old, they were already leaps and bounds above everyone in their little side. You know, that's the level of a Man United player. Mm. But in saying that, the last few years, I reckon you put a bang average player in that squad that loves Man United yeah. and they'll be doing better than Falcao and Di Maria and all of those top, top players because they just didn't yeah. give a shit. Yeah, he no, fights for the shirt. Di Maria Ricardo didn't want to be there. Yeah. 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 Di Maria he, he was looked, sour. He looked a worldie. And when he arrived, then they robbed his house, and from that day, yeah. gone, the gone. mentality yeah, is gone. Yeah, gone. It, it's strange. Yeah, I don't know. Um, just to go walk into Man United and be like, I don't want to be a. Yeah. Oh, Thanks for the 300,000 pounds yeah, a week. Exactly. And like Sanchez, that was shocking. Honestly, when you know you, you hear Sanchez coming to United and you think of, okay, well, you know, maybe he's going to be a great player. But to be honest, he was somewhat past, past his, his best. I don't know. Um, um, I think that if you want to be fair to him and, uh, you know, to be completely fair to, to him, <sighs> the, the team he went into, what, uh, you know, what, what was he supposed to do? It was a bit you of know, a there was, team. There was the no... But they shouldn't have signed him. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, like, okay. what was the point of that signing, to be honest? It, it was, was like a, a, a trade a with Mkhitaryan to there was, Arsenal. There were two things there sense. in my mind. The one was they wanted someone good because we didn't have and then they also were like well um, we don't want City to have him and City yeah. played a nice that was game it. and that was really the the point of that one okay anyway. guys let's wrap this up cool. Instagram handles um, do you want anyone to follow you first of all yeah sure yeah let me mine's Andrea yeah. underscore Savides underscore 87 wow yeah, yeah. Underscore, sure. Mine's Elias underscore Landy, L-A-N-D-Y, 88. Okay, guys, thank you so much. If you have enjoyed well, this podcast, we, we've been in discussions of this. We want to actually make a football podcast a permanent thing away from my show here. So if you have liked this podcast, give us a five-star rating, give us a comment. Just let me know that, like, oh, uh, yeah, I'd love to listen to this every week. 
So give us a shout out. Of course, this has been the Marco Martins Revolution and it has been brought to you by Vodcast TV, Johannesburg's premier shared podcast studio platform. If you have been wanting to do your own podcast, visit vodcasttv.com forward slash revolution now and get 15% off. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Cool, thank, thank you. you. Thank you Thanks, man. Cheers. We'll <laughs>